This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders past, present and future. Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. We're your hosts. <laughs> oh, sorry, I got a little bit sidetracked. I I was just using Chat GPT four to figure out how to beat you at table tennis. Ah, uh, <laughs> okay, all right. I'll tell you right now, Reese. It's not going to help you do that. Yeah, look, I might have taken out the big tournament a little while ago, but I'm struggling to get games at the moment, mate. You're playing pretty well, and I'm going to use AI to help me. The emotional reward from that win is long worn off, hasn't it? No, no, it really hasn't. <laughs> I still no. feel like the king. But anyway. <laughs> Currently, I'm, I'm doing some prompt engineering. Do you okay. do you know what prompt engineering is? Yes, Reese. I have uh, a little bit of an understanding of prompt engineering. Let me lay it out for you. It is engineering the right words to put into uh, something like chat GPT to spit out what you want it to do. So if any of you listeners have tried to use chat GPT at all, which probably most of you have, you may have run into some issues with it not doing exactly what you wanted it to do. Yeah, basically prompt engineering is the the complicated way of saying ask the right question to get the right answer. Oh, good one. That's a great explanation. All right, brilliant. Today, we're talking to Bailey Cook, who is an employee of yours and a collaborator and just an yes. all-round clever guy. Uh, you'll get a bit of an insight into how clever this guy is in our amazing interview with him that is chock full of tips, tricks, new tools. Uh, you're going to get a lot of value out of this. Yeah, AI, it's a huge thing. And we didn't want to just be another bit of content about AI that everyone's already read. So we've tried to dial it in on how you might be able to use it for your creative practice, how we're using it currently, and just general chats about the do's and don'ts and where it might lead us in the future. Yeah. Enjoy. Hey, Bailey. Thanks for joining us, mate. Pleasure to be here, boys. Thanks for the invite. Welcome. I thought we'd just do a really quick introduction of who you are, what you do, a little bit of background. This episode is a bit more about the topic that we want to discuss, but who are you, Bailey? Sure. I work as a video producer at Hebron Films with Mr. Caleb Maxwell over here and been working here for the last four or five years. Before that, I was at a different marketing agency. Before specializing in video, I did a lot of more general multimedia stuff, such as websites, graphic design, you name it, I've probably had a a good swing in it. And I've got a Bachelor of Animation and Visual Effects. So I was on track at one point for working with my friends who now work on Marvel films and all that sort of cool AAA Hollywood stuff. But that industry is a whole nother episode in itself. Yeah. Is there any particular reason you didn't pursue that type of creative work? In short, that industry is very tightly held by Disney (laughs) that has at least around half the market and therefore they can control price. And there's a whole of market dynamics that make that industry pretty toxic. Mm, Apart from uh, conditions. a couple that broke out of it, Mr. Ben Watts, who I know you've had on the show, that yeah. does fantastic work, but mm. for other corporate clients and mm. has one of the gems that has made a way out of that space. Mm. Yeah, True. cool. Oh, well, thanks for that. That was a really good little summary. Succinct. I like it. All right, big topic today. We brought you in, Bailey, because we know that you're using AI in a bunch of different ways and you're Mm going to blow our mind a little bit. 
let's go around the table here and talk about how each of us are using AI in a day-to-day basis and how we're approaching it right now. I think I'll I'll start off with with my understanding of AI and frame our conversation today about specifically what we're talking about. But right off the bat, I have talked more about AI than I have actually used it. I have logged into ChatGPT and I don't know that I've ever put anything in the chat. <laughs> Full disclosure, <laughs> I don't really use AI. Mm, Prehistoric. But I have talked to a lot of AI experts and I've got a pretty good understanding of, of how it works. Bailey, off air, you were, you were saying, hey, let's just frame what AI is and what we're dealing with because it's blown up in the last, what, eight months thanks to ChatGPT. And as you were saying, Bailey, we've experienced and been living with AI for years, like a decade, more maybe, and in ways that we just didn't really realise. There's machine learning in different software development companies and then what we'd be familiar with is the um, algorithms for all the social media platforms that serve up content to us based on our actions. And that is a form of AI, right? Absolutely, yeah. But... What really shook things up was the chat integration with AI. And so now you're able to communicate directly and request and demand things of this AI and control it in some way. Would you say that's a fair description, Bailey? Have you got anything to add there? Very much. And I guess it's one of the first attempts, at least for me, or the first experiences where I've tried an AI product and not been disappointed and actually been Mm. just flat out blown away. Um, I'm sure we've all used Siri before or similar sort of (laughs) voice assistants with so many failure points, let alone them Mm. recognising what you're saying, then interpreting what you're saying and actually getting you the information you need. Classic Siri butting into conversations when she's not welcome, saying that she doesn't understand. Look, I'm, I'm sure we've just awoken at least one of those for one of the listeners right now (laughs) just by saying the name that shall not be named. So I guess that that's people have had a lot of potentially negative connotations coming into AI. And I think ChatGPT launching in December last year has really just turned the table and opened the opened the floodgates of possibility of, oh, this actually works now. Um, before that, as you were saying, Caleb, we were using AI every day and maybe not realising it on their Facebook or Netflix or YouTube recommendations or even one of the few ones that I, I used that works previously was like the Google image recognition. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Stuff. Image search, yeah. But that's because really we're seeing this sort of paradigm shift from narrow AI. So, for example, you couldn't ask the Netflix recommendation algorithm or AI to write you a poem. (laughs) And so that's what we call narrow AI. So Mm. it's an AI that's been trained on one very specific Mm. thing very well. Mm. And the way it's trained is that it's basically told this is a good outcome or this is a bad outcome. And so it's going to mathematically move towards the good outcome. But now what we're seeing is with ChatGPT, it's the first really good form of general AI. So that means similar to our, the way our brains work, it theoretically, as it gets better, can process the capability to perform tasks just like we do in our brain and come up with methods on the fly to get there. Context. Well, it, it understands context a mm, hell of a lot better and you can on. feed it some context and information and it's surprisingly good. So how have you been using it, Bailey? I think the question is, Reese, how haven't I been using it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The I've got a couple of examples for you actually. Oh great. One of the before we saw the kind of rise of ChatGPT last year, there was this sort of underground or more underground movement 
which I don't know if you guys are familiar with the generative image oh, AI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dali. Dali or Mid Journey. Mid Journey. Or Stable Diffusion, just some of the different projects that was going on about it. And so I thought I'd show you just one example real quick. And oh. Maybe we can put this on the Instagram. Show and for tell. The, for yes. Listeners. So I was using some of these products, and I'll show you one successful commercial example of how I've applied it. But I just thought over the Christmas break, I was curious to learn about how these things work. And so I decided to train a model to generate an image of my girlfriend. Mm. <laughs> so when you say train a model, you don't, you're not talking about a professional mm. real life human <laughs> who works in the fashion industry. No. no. <laughs> what, explain what you mean. So basically with some of these, some of this tech, you could feed multiple images. So we're talking minimum 20, but yes. when you're doing this at a professional level, as much data as possible yeah. is preferable. Yep. And you're basically telling the computer, these images represents this keyword. Uh-huh. And then you can use this keyword in a prompt to generate another image. So, and then you can, so just to d- dial in a bit on that, so we'll just say the person's name is the keyword. So you'd mm-hmm. say, show this person sitting on a bench seat looking up into uh, the sky. Exactly. Or in a different art style. I'll show you a photo of what my, <laughs> my girlfriend Ellie actually looks like. Hey, mm-hmm. Ellie. And then after stressing out my MacBook for about 24 hours <laughs> trying to generate a computational model of her, this is, I want to get the live reaction. This is... <laughs> Some of how the images turned out. Ready? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> oh. Just explain for the listeners what we're seeing here. <laughs> it's and not. It's not an improvement on her. <laughs> oh wow! Well, okay, I'm scrolling it, through a couple of different outputs. Oh, it, it failed a bit. Oh, it's a bit. Oh, oh, okay. That's a massive fail. It's, that's where's her face yeah, gone? One's just a complete blur. <laughs> it's it hasn't done the best job, has it? No, like, but some of them look. Eerily yeah. close, but yeah. very far away at the same time. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, but then I also did some different art styles. This is only from one day of training as well. Wow. Mm-hmm. But anyway, to, to, to juxtapose that, I then paid for an app that does this legit and gave oh. it very similar images. Uh-huh. And it came up with something much better. That is much better. Wow. It just goes to show you that AI is not just this magic button that we no. can we can load something and impress go. Yeah. It's actually just Photoshop. I imagine in the 90s, mm-hmm. there's skill to use the tool. There's lots of variation. I, yeah. I've seen a really quite a good meme going around on my my feed is for AI to take over our jobs, the client will need to know what they want. <laughs> We're safe. <laughs> so this is a maybe a kind of an example of that, isn't it? Like it, it can be a great tool, but it is, does come down to how you prompt it and how you use it and the maths and the code behind the AI, mm. how it works. Exactly. Um, wow. Well, Reese, what about you, mate? How have you been using AI? Actually, glad you asked, mate. I, I asked it to, just before we started chatting, I asked it to tell me, can you please explain to me the top five ways a creative person can use your excellent service as a chatbot to help them to be more creative, efficient um. and faster <laughs> in their work? <laughs> and I've put in there your excellent service because I find it's really important to be polite and friendly to the AI because <laughs> I want it to remember me as someone who appreciated it no. so it doesn't like, you know, ruin my life in right. the background. It's okay. like, yeah. He was. He spoke nicely to me. He <laughs> must be a good character. I'll treat him better. Oh, yeah, man, I always say please. Yeah, and thank <laughs> you. All great work. That was spot on. And then you move forward. Be nice to the AI. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it gave me. It gave me five things: content generation. Yep. Editing and proofreading. 
brainstorming ideas. It went on with way more detail, but these are the top five. Language translation, research assistance, and the top five industries were publishing and journalism, music industry, graphic design and visual arts, film industry. So I've been using it specifically for a couple of things. I recently just asked it to, I've set up a whole chat thread and I've stepped up to the chat GPT-4 paid yeah, subscription, yeah. which sort of allows a little bit more, you can get some plugins to do some more interesting stuff. I've got the, the PDF reader plugin at the moment, so I can put in a really big lengthy PDF or it can read it and summarize it for me, dial into the data, figure out what's going mm. on. And I can digest a hundred page PDF in about 45 seconds and, and even ask it like specifically how I'm interested in reading this particular PDF to find out this information about design. And it'll spit out the top five things that it mentions about design and how that affects what I'm wanting to know. Instead of reading 100 pages, I've got it like that, which is pretty awesome. That's amazing. So I've been experimenting with how it can help me speed up my workflow with emails and communications, also like website content and writing proposals, which is all really great stuff. And I've just experimented. The most recent one is I've prompted it. We might get into prompt engineering a little Mm -hmm. bit more later, but it's quite a long prompt, so I won't go through the whole thing, but basically the genesis of it is I'm asking it to act as my personal assistant to help me write emails and communications. I'd like it to slowly develop a writing style on my behalf based on my instructions over time. And so then I've gone on, I want to sound professional, calm, pragmatic, and always open to collaborative working methods. I especially strive to achieve progress over perfection. I want to sound both creative and down the line. And I go on to give it really specific ways I want to come across in emails. And I've then gone on to say it can ask me one or two questions if it needs more information. And it came back and said, give me examples of the common scenarios or situations. Could share more about the tone and language you prefer to use with two groups. I told it that there was two groups that I work with, creatives and clients. Yeah. And then I've gone down to break down with a creative. I want to be creative. I want to talk about feeling and tone and texture and ideas. And with the client, I want to talk about budgets and timelines and translate that creative speak into easy to understand outcomes and objectives and stuff. So this is just a bit of an experiment that I'm going through at the moment. And it started to write some emails for me just by punching in some darts. So now I've got this chain of discussion that hopefully it'll learn over time how I'm using it. And when I, it started writing the first email for me, I said, I'll oh, make it, make it relaxing and a little bit fun or something. And then it started using all this weird language. I'm like, whoa, that's not me. Stop. Make it a little bit more professional. And so it's going to start learning how I'm interacting with what it's producing. Yeah. It's like bowling with bumpers on, right? You, you, if it goes too far one way, you bounce it back the other way and then it corrects and eventually it'll mm. find a straight yeah. line. And I'm finding what it's doing for me is I consider myself like a an average writer, probably like slightly above average in creative writing, but definitely below average on spelling and correct use of grammar. Mm-hmm. And it's taking my ideas and thoughts as a creative person with the ability just to like brain dump data and creative stuff and then it turns it into a piece of writing that would have come from a professional copywriter where I can dictate the tone of language and all kinds of stuff that I can have input on 
and it just pumps it out in 35 seconds Whoa. and turns me to an absolute pro rider. Now, Bailey, I know you've written a few emails. You've been using uh, this for a few emails. How's that been going? What have you been learning and, and discovering? One of Caleb's best talents is his client relations skills, something that uh, I am not anywhere nearly equally blessed with. In fact, I'm quite the opposite. I can be quite blunt and down the line and uh, needs a little bit of softening. So I've actually developed a, a bit of a workflow with Loom, which is a basically a, a video capture uh, app that you can use that captures your webcam, maybe captures your screen, and it gives you through, again, the power of AI, it now gives you a transcript of mm. your Loom and also now automatically does a summary of your Loom when you copy and paste it into an email. Yeah. And basically what I do um, is I take the transcript of that Loom and I have a, similar to you, Reese, have a prompt that I've developed myself that softens the language to a degree that is palatable <laughs> and not so, <laughs> not so blunt. And so between, you know, the... Uh, modified transcript through ChatGBT and then the client seeing my body language and knowing that uh, my tone is not very harsh um, between all of those different factors that try to emulate what we have here in person in real life. Mm. But what is that classic stat? Like you know, 80 or 90% of communication is through body language mm. rather than what you're actually saying. Mm. Um, we're trying to encapsulate that asynchronously through email. Mm. And that's done me and my client relations a world of good. Yeah, mm. it, yeah, it's been good. I'm CC'd into a few emails and early on I was like, that's straight from chat GPT. But I've seen it develop over time and it's actually really working for you now. Yeah, there was a few that are similar to you, Reese. I didn't exactly put the bumpers on and <laughs> I let it run a little bit more creative and I was like oh I just want to I'm just going to throw a couple of tests out there like classic marketer test and adjust yeah. and there was only positive comments about some of the more flamboyantly yeah. worded emails from my end yeah because they're like professionally written even if it is a little bit like if you if we know you we know that it's a little yeah. bit out of your character but for a client who's just met you and working with mm -hmm. you professionally they're probably like wow you put spent a lot of time on crafting this email <laughs> i just wanted to touch on email specifically before i was using chat gpt and I, I haven't confirmed the suspicion but i think i had someone use chat gpt to reply to one of my emails uh -huh. and I wasn't sure how I felt it, felt about it. <laughs> At first I was like, oh, that's a bit impersonal. It uh -huh. was like we speak a lot about communications and yeah. just being upfront and getting to the crux of an issue to deal with it and move on. And it was one of those ones where emotions could easily get in the way of coming to a resolution. Yeah. And so they used – I think they use it because it was like my email, they had citations of my email dropped into Ooh. their email responding to each little part of it. Yeah. Which I was like, knowing the people, I was like, surely they didn't do that. <laughs> that would have taken them a whole day to do that. <laughs> and so I stewed on it for a while. And at, in the end of the day, I think it actually helped come to a more diplomatic outcome and resolution. Yeah. Reese and Caleb, just to blow your mind even further on this email front, do you know there's email clients now that if you let them access your data, they can write, they can use your previous emails that you've sent, mm. they can encapsulate your writing style and all the information that you've put through your most likely thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not oh. hundreds of thousands of emails, and they can draft, as emails come in, they can draft a reply. So when you open the email, 
it can use how you've previously responded to similar emails. Oh, boy. And have a draft waiting for you. Oh, boy. And that's one of the things I love about AI is that people were really worried, I think, when it first came of, oh, no, what am I going to do about my job? But I think for us creatives that the main thing that that it liberates for me is the feeling of staring at a blank page mm-hmm. and just going, oh, how do I start? I don't know about for you guys, but I know for me, that's been a massive stumbling block no matter what the project. If I'm just staring at a blank project file or a blank page, it's one hump to get over. Yeah. And I think the days of that are probably going to be no more. Yeah. <laughs> how do we feel about handing over all of our communications to some other AI platform that we don't really know know what they're going to do with it? It's a fear of the unknown thing because what's the consequence? You don't know, right? It depends what's in those emails. But yeah. really, does it? Like it, you're bordering illegal communication. Like what's the consequence? I guess it depends if you've done like drug deals over email. <laughs> or Even if you have, what, are they going to? Tell on you. <laughs> I don't know. Or is well, it they that's can the deep, thing, right? They could deep fake you and okay, like yeah. scam your family yeah. or something. Yeah, now we're talking. There's many hours of both of you boys recording audio oh of your voices in very high quality. <laughs> All over the internet. Which yeah. yeah, which that is one of the tools I have yeah. listed here, which yep. we can make pretty convincing. Yeah, and how good is that? Right now we're still in bed. <laughs> and we've just deep faked this whole podcast and Bailey's actually just talking to two chatbots. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> One of the only times I've been involved in active AI testing was thanks to Bailey. We tried to make personalised intros to video. So what we did was we recorded me saying hi and then a gap and then I've – I've been checking out your LinkedIn profile and I really like the work you do at Leave a Gap and then on to my message. And we plugged that into a tool that Bailey will be able to name and gave it the information that we wanted to fill the gaps with, so a name and a company, so that we could send these out out at mass. And it was really just a test. We weren't going to do that, but it was interesting, wasn't it, Bailey? I've actually pulled it up, and I was thinking, (laughs) let's get Reese's live reaction. So just to clarify, this is for you to contact new clients? Yeah, potential clients. We were doing like outreach. It was for a LinkedIn outreach kind of test. And you're trying to speed up the process so you can automate rather than doing a customized video audio thing each time. You can like just smash it in and do do 100 in a day rather than 10 in a day or whatever. Yes, totally. Let's hit play. Hey Grant, I I was just checking out your LinkedIn profile and the work that you do at Lyft Video Production. And if you are looking for a sign that you should start making some great video content, I think this might be it. (laughs) All right, so let's hit pause there. So it was actually without the visual, it almost, and without meeting you, Caleb, you might get away with that, but the- What did you pick up on? It obviously can't figure out mouths. And also an American accent. Yeah, that's probably the most (laughs) uh, obvious flaw in that. Is it? That's pretty much my voice, but it made me have an American accent. Yeah, it did, didn't it? (laughs) Also, the visual of it was like a little bit jaded, where the mouth was a bit blurry and not crispy. Resolution was incredibly low, and mouth movement was (laughs) just very abnormal. Yeah, that's like really cool though. I can imagine that working, give it a little bit more testing and refining and you could probably turn that into something, but you wouldn't send that out, would you? (laughs) 
<laughs> no, not unless it was a Halloween special or something. Yeah. We did send it to Grant from Lyft Video, who is a mate of ours, and we used his name and company for the test, and he was suitably creeped out. All right, you've shown us some of the fails, but maybe we could talk about how it's working for your creative process and how you're utilising it in a creative sense. Sure. So I've got another couple of examples to show you guys. Basically, I made a couple of posters for my church. I'm not a graphic designer by trade, but I just use Midjourney mm-hmm. to generate the, the images and then modify them in Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It so. says splash into faith. Oh, I, I use ChatGPT to come up with that name too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep. it's got a picture of a person sliding down a stylized, stylized slide. slide. Yep. And another poster called Catching Fire. And Adobe's got this really interesting AI text image generation tool where you can have text in a really interesting format. Yeah, I like that one. That's like a graphic novel kind of style with a bunch of friends around a campfire next to a lake. That looks pretty cool. Yeah, and obviously at the moment, Midjourney doesn't handle generating text really at all. So it it gives you a pretty good layout. Okay. But you have to do a fair bit of work in Photoshop to erase where it's suggesting to put text uh, and then actually add in the text yourself. Yeah, mm. that's awesome because that, that's what I like about you could spend half a day flicking through a stock image website or multiple stock image websites to find the right illustration for your particular event. And then someone says, I don't like it. And you're like, oh, okay, I'll go looking again through all of these <laughs> images. Where this, like you, what I've noticed, the process of working with AI on some image-based stuff is you get to, you prompt it and it comes back and you're like, whoa, that was not the right prompt. Uh, you're like, I mm-hmm. see what it did, but I'm going to have to adjust my prompt to get what I want here. And I haven't used Midjourney a lot. I've used more Dali, which doesn't do a great job. But yeah, you've used Midjourney a bit more. Yeah, love Midjourney. You do have to pay for it. You do get a pretty great trial period. I can't remember exactly the the boundaries on it, but you can have a really good crack at generating images with Midjourney before you run into that paid threshold. Mm -hmm. But if people want to get started for free and they have a somewhat recent iPad or Mac, there's an app you can download called Draw Things. And basically you can do the same process, but rather than Midjourney, which renders on a computer somewhere far away and then pings the image back to you, it uses your own device's horsepower Ah. and does all the machine learning and generating locally. Ah. Uh, It does take a little bit, depending on how recent or old your iPad or Mac is. I think it maybe even does it on iPhone too. But if people want to have a play around uh, and they want to do it free and they don't mind waiting a little bit of time, then that's an option for you. Draw things. That's cool. That is cool. And I guess it can feel a bit hard to know where to start. So let's just, with Midjourney, this is a particularly strange one that you have to use Discord. You do have to use Discord as the interface to prompt Midjourney. That's right. Yeah. So that's a little bit strange for me compared to just like jumping on a website and doing it. Having its own interface. Mm. Yeah. But let's not get too heavy on the details of that Midjourney. Google up how to use it and Mm. give it a shot if you like. Would you say that's the industry leader for image generation at the moment? I would say so. It's definitely got the most consistent results, but this is the thing. It keeps improving month on month and there's so much competition in this space at the moment that by the end of the year, there may be a new leader as well mm. or maybe Dali is caught up or even surpassing. Mm. So it's neck and neck. So what about uh, video production? How are you using it to make better videos, AI in general? So many different ways. I guess we'll go just really quickly go through the process that we go through at Hebron, which I know you guys have covered in an earlier episode. 
one thing that's super helpful and that Caleb's actually used, I know he's probably talking down himself at the moment, <laughs> but we use multiple software such as Auto AI or Grain to record our all meetings. True. And that has an AI transcription of, yeah. of every call we've pretty much been on for the last year or two, which has been super helpful. And lately, we can even use chatbots that are built into that software to chat to those meetings and then surface insights and summaries and action items from so those chats. give me, like I'm thinking an example might be like, it's a, re- a two-hour meeting because it was like a big discovery meeting and all you want to find out was what was the budget and you just simply say, did we discuss the budget in this meeting and it will respond to you in that way? Yeah, you pretty much. You'd absolutely do that. But what we could also do is ask it, hey, what were all the action items taken from this meeting and who were they assigned, assigned to? to? And it will give you a full list. Yeah. Which you could technically search for action, but you might not get it all. Yeah. And AI is not perfect. There's a chance that it may miss something, but it gives you a really good basis to start from at least. Yeah, mm. like scouring two hours of meeting transcription to find out the different times that you discuss that versus doing that Yeah, for you. so it's those powerful questions like you could ask it to summarise a story that someone said or tell me what, Bill said are the most important things in this video project. Yeah. What are the key pillars of their business or yeah. you know, tell me the essence of who their core audience is. Or yeah, yeah, all, all those type of things. Yeah. Okay. Which is extremely helpful for what you were talking about earlier, Reese, where it comes to proposals as yep. well. Mm-hmm. It's super helpful and valuable to summarise a, a larger conversation. I do that a little bit, yeah. In terms of other parts of the process, I'm just going to go rapid fire go. real quick here. In editing, Premiere Pro has, and other software too, has such as Descript, they now automatically transcribe you mm. know, for if you've got large interview clips, you can put all the interview in and it will transcribe and you can actually edit based off the text rather than off the video or waveform files, which is incredible. Yeah, mm. this excites me a lot because it's like, oh, I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> you could. <laughs> um, so that's been incredibly helpful for me, especially when you've got heaps of different interviews, you're trying to merge into one story and just keep tabs on everything. Um, there's other ways we use it, such as if we get given really old footage, we use this program called Topaz AI to upscale that footage to something that is a lot more clear. Maybe it's reducing grain or noise or even stabilizing the footage, all AI processes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, Are the, these, is that like a web browser tool? or So it's a, that's just a subscription app that you download. So the, they download the models onto your computer and all the processing is done locally, but you're basically paying to access their upgrading or upscaling models. Cool. On the audio front, so Amy would probably love some of this stuff too, is there's Adobe Podcast, which is incredibly awesome, where you just literally drop, drag and drop an audio file of some shottily recorded audio and it just makes it beautiful there's also this other i don't know how to pronounce it called l a l it's like lal.ai which can do the very similar thing but also can break down music into its instruments which i've used multiple times for our projects yeah i've experienced the outcome of that for one project and it blew my mind i was like Bailey, what have you done? Have you re-recorded this entire thing with your own instruments? (laughs) Like it was phenomenal. Like usually we've had to cut up music into different bits and try and mishmash something together to fit timing. But now, man, you just, you full on took out instruments from a, a patch of the song. 
and ex- extended intros. It was crazy. Yeah, it completely cool. changed the dynamics of the song mm-hmm. to what we needed it to be for that short film. Just while you're on that, though, maybe this is a bit of a broader discussion point, but in terms of licensing and copyright Ooh, and yeah. the rights of the original owner of the art, like the original owner of that creative piece, yeah. it opens up a whole new series of challenges and Ooh, yeah. debates. Sure does. I don't have the answers. I'm sure none of us really do. <laughs> Other no. than it's really helpful to be able to bypass all of that for the quick minute the copyright yeah. hasn't caught up on yeah. what's going on. Yeah. It's absolutely the Wild West right now. Yeah, it And is. we're loving it. Pew, pew. What else? <laughs> on the video front, this is oh, – we'll, we'll mention a couple of things that we're not using right now but are just on the cusp of becoming a lot more viable for us. So there's a startup called Runway which – they specialize in what's called text-to-video. So just like we've talked about with generating images and mid-journey or stable diffusion, you can do a very similar thing right now with text-to-video. And the results are somewhat a little bit wishy-washy. I've seen some of these pop up on Instagram and stuff. It's one image changes over and over again and morphs in style. And is this what you're talking about, similar to this? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, Part of it? Yeah. Was that... It wasn't a Bud Light ad, was it? It was like a, it was a Bud Light esque, like beer commercial. Maybe the runway. Yes. Yeah. If you get a chance, search that up. It was a beer ad. I can't remember. But they made this full on Super Bowl ad just using runway. And it was creepy. It was full creepy, but it was surprising. Yeah. In terms of how workable it was Mm. in some respects. Another example where similar to I was talking about my history earlier in 3D and animation, we're seeing that the the barriers to that drop dramatically with a a new startup as well called Wonder Studio. And that's been backed by some major Hollywood corporations where the whole process of uh, motion, imagine you take a piece of footage of Caleb's talking here and we want, instead of Caleb, we want a robot. Previously, you'd need a team of artists who are specialised in motion tracking, character animation, rendering, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. This new startup called Wonder Studio, you basically take the footage, you drop it into a web browser, you click, I want this character, you drag that onto Caleb and you hit render. About 12 hours later, you get a pretty good character just in his place like they've replaced the background wow mm, and so that's interesting and so the, the other benefit of that is even if the final result isn't perfect they give you each of the steps along the way that you can break out if you are a trained artist in each of those platforms or apps involved in the pipeline and you can actually take it and perfect Adjust it yourself it. Yeah. oh man so even if it's not taking it all the way there it's assisting massively in the tedious parts of it and they give you the working files to adjust yourself basically yeah, to a degree, yes. Well, Okay, so basically you're just not doing any of the work anymore, Bailey. Is there any other things that you've <laughs> cut out of your actual process? <laughs> I've got some interesting theories of where this is going. If- All right. I had a little bit of a, an agenda for this discussion. And I think we've really gone through how you're using it for yeah. creative purposes. We focus fairly heavily on video and image and text. So they're probably the main three, I think, that are yeah. just the easiest to access to begin with. Let's have a chat about the impacts on the creative industry. Impacts and opportunities. Let's go. Yeah. Righto, Bailey, what do you got for us? I've got a theory. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have talked on the podcast about Adobe buying Figma for $20 billion. Yeah, oh, we haven't talked about it, but I'm aware of it. Yes. Tell us a little bit more of the background on that one. So Adobe, massive behemoth of a company. Everybody knows them, yes, surely. Yes. Figma, though, not so much. Figma is similar to a InDesign or Illustrator, 
basically a wireframing and design tool mostly used by UI and UX designers to develop user interfaces for web or apps. Yeah. Um, can be used for graphic design purposes too. User interface and user experience designers UI, would UX. be using that. And yeah, Adobe announced last year that they were going to acquire Figma for $20 billion, which Figma is generally speaking, majority of the users are free users that do not pay for it. That's a lot of billion. Not anymore. <laughs> yes. And people were really confused by that. But what I think, my conspiracy theory of the day, is that Figma is a cloud-only application as far as I'm aware. So that means Figma is hosting all of the project files and all the data. And as far as I'm aware, you can also undo unlimitedly or for a long time you can undo. So it's got a recollection of every single step taken to create that final project. Oh, so boy. It makes no sense yeah, for any other valuation model for Adobe to buy them for $20 billion, apart from they're a major competitor. Mm-hmm. But one of the theories that I think, those smart cookies at Adobe... They could use the data from Figma users mm. who are some of the best in the world at UI and UX to teach their own AI model how to design things Yes, yep. to so world-class levels. That's it. The data that they're actually purchasing is not necessarily just the user base. They're buying the entire creative process for user experience and user interface designers of how they got from a blank page to a finished approved out in the world product yeah, and they've just purchased the working files of every single user. That's the IP of every major UX UI designer. And technically speaking, they can't go, okay, guys, here's how to make a Facebook or here's how to make an Instagram or a TikTok. They can't just blatantly copy people's IP. But if because they've got this really good, massive, generalised data set, Mm. they don't have to infringe on any one person's particular IP. So no. it's really clever. So it this is just my conspiracy clever. theory. No, yeah, forget it's conspiracy theory. That's it, I that's reckon. It's just business. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I reckon that's exactly what Isn't that mean. interesting that people like the risk of using platforms that could potentially be sold down the track? Like how do, how do you think the users of Figma will feel about that? you got to remember if you don't pay for the product, you are the product. Yeah. So Figma is massive when it came onto the scene provide a massive amount of value for free or very little, but the payment is made somehow. Yep. It leads me to talk about something that I wanted to discuss with you, Bailey, and you, Caleb, about sensitive information being put into these things. I'm very cautious about entering, like I know my name is on the internet, like that's probably not that (laughs) sensitive. And also my address is plugged into a lot of things that you Mm. need to plug your address in. So it's probably actually not that private. (laughs) anymore if people want to hack into Mm. your profile they probably easily can but i'm wondering about privacy using say let's just dial in on chatbot gpt with putting in certain information about your clients or what you're doing and i'm always very cautious to make it fairly generic so you couldn't drill in and be like oh that's an interaction between nacho station and client xyz and and they've discussed this particular agreement and because I don't know where that data is going to go in the future or how they're using it and I just don't know if I'm like should be that worried about it or if everyone should be worried about that. There's a couple of things here so the first thing you talked about was security and it's safe to assume that no none of your security questions are really a very good security measure 
anymore. Where we're going with security is much more towards an in-person validation that with two-factor authentication, you get sent a text message and you have to put that text message into the thing that you're using. So there's two different ways that you are confirming your identity and it's not required. It's not based on your knowledge or your your history or your answers to questions. Yeah, the, it's good though that we were born pre-internet. Yeah. So all my security questions come from things that happened pre-internet. So there maybe <laughs> maybe they are saved. Like the name of my first fish has never been up. I've never uploaded. Internet didn't exist to upload a picture of the name of the fish. Oh so, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, that's, yeah. but anyway, yeah, continue. yeah. That's another that's another <laughs> discussion. But the second thing you talked about was data, right? So. It, if you've got something that's sensitive to you and you don't want too many other people to know about it, the safety we have at the moment, I think, is the volume of data that exists. Finding your little deal with Sony for Nacho Station. Yeah, you just this live on air. I wish. Um, that, that's important to you, but it's probably not very important to anyone else. That's number one. But it could be. But then number two is that data is in uh, a sea of data Mm. and like innumerable amounts. So for someone with malicious intent to try and hone in on that, it's a little trickier. To play devil's advocate here, the other side, I wanted to give you some facts. I'll bring it. There's at least 14 companies like big Fortune 500 companies that have banned the use of ChatGPT inside their organisation. I'm not talking about no small fish. I'm talking about your Amazon. I'm talking about Apple. I think even Samsung has banned it. Banned it. And there's numerous big banks in the US, such as Wells Fargo and a number of other companies. I just Googled it real quick. But it was almost becoming a bit of a meme that, you know, every day there was a new company that was banning the use of their employees using ChatGPT. And it's because if you look at the ChatGPT licensing agreement, when, you know, those T's and C's that you just go, oh, whatever, accept, and then you just use the product. In those licensing terms, uh, OpenAI has usage to all the inputs that you've given the service. All your emails, all your sensitive data that you've helped, you've asked it to help you write, they have access to it. And so there's a bit of an outcry about this. And so recently, in the recent months, they've added this setting if you go into your chat GPT settings called chat history and training, where you can basically turn it off and, and they won't save chats and, and it won't allow them to u- be used to improve their models. Mm. However, so, but you lose the ability to have your chat saved. So effectively mm. it's like a one-time usage of the model and then your data's after you click close on that tab, it's gone. There's a bit of give and take there. Mm. Um, there is. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And um, I did definitely didn't read the T's and C's, but I knew that I should be careful. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the takeaway for that is don't put anything in there that isn't already public information and that you're okay with that informing chat GPT's hist- library of history globally. Yeah, that's a use at your own risk disclaimer mm. and just be aware that there is risk. Mm-hmm. A little bit scary, but I've just jumped into my settings now, Bailey, to look at where that button is. So if I am ever wanting to discuss something a little bit more discreetly, I can turn that on and make sure nothing is saved. Good one. What about in just in general, the impacts on the creative industries as a whole? Do we? How do we feel about AI coming into being a 
the the biggest revolution. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy. Like I, I've had a few chats with a, a few different people about this and it is changing and will rapidly change people doing medial tasks, medial repetitive tasks, and even data analysis. That's a massive one that, that you might have a, a data analyst who you give a bunch of data to and you say, I need all these reports and I need to know what this data is saying. Sorry, data analyst. I think you might become the prompt engineer rather than the actual data analyst. It's just going to be a new way of interacting with software and, and using computers. Yep. Regardless of what industry, really. Yeah, it is. And things like other medial tasks, rotoing, talking in post-production workflow. Rotoing. Oh, so when you're spinning rotos on a helicopter... We're talking about something called rotoscoping, which is yeah. basically the process drawing around a person or an object in a video frame by frame. Yeah, that those things frame by frame, yeah, I think that's going to be gone pretty soon. Yeah, even in a situation just like this, there's software that we use at Hebron called Autopod, which can automatically edit podcasts based on waveforms and some different tactics. Yeah. So... And that cuts out heaps of time of that medial task editing that just gives you the leg up. And I probably, it's a bit of a scary thing where this could all go and people ask in, probably for good reason. I I think it can elevate other skills that you're lacking in so incredibly. And I've already mentioned before, it's taken my writing skills from average to professional and it could probably... If I want to edit an interview now, I'm self-taught in a lot of a lot of fields, so I know a little bit about a lot of different creative industries. And using that small amount of knowledge and AI, I could probably do a lot of work really quickly and really cheaply. I don't think I necessarily want to do that, but editing an interview, for example, by editing the script and not having to do all of the actual stuff is could be a potential game changer for me to to do new projects. Yeah, even if you're not learning something new. If you're a, a dedicated specialist in a particular field, I think the result of at what AI is going to do, either now or into the future, it's just going to be mean more volume. Yeah, more volume, more capability. And what I encourage people that might be a bit scared or nervous about it, you need to reframe the way you're looking at this. Change isn't bad. It could be bad, but it's all dependent on us, all dependent on you and how you approach it and how you deal with it. In this change specifically, it could be either your downfall and you could turn into the victim of AI and say, oh, I stole my job and now I can't do anything. Or you could say, this is going to be my superpower. I'm going to do things like you said, Reese. I'm going to be able to do things I couldn't do before and I'm going to change the way I'm doing things so that me as a creative and as a worker is still really valuable. Yeah, I, I wanted to give another example of, of how I've used it in a way that it's actually for a volunteer role that I do. And it took about a day and a half's work and turned it into two hours. This is a different to video and image sort of editing. I'm the president of Eagle Hawk Festivals. And I have to run an AGM in September. Uh-huh. I've never hosted an AGM. And it's not just any AGM, it's going to have, there's going to be live performance and it's going to be a, a mini festival for two hours with some AGM stuff. Of course. It is called Eaglehawk Festival. Yeah. And what I needed to do was 
produce website copy, a poster with copy, an opening speech or like a president's report and speech and an agenda. That's quite a bit of writing to do. Yeah. But what I did, I, I just said, here's all the information I have about this event. Go ahead and write me website copy to advertise this event. Bam, spat it out. And I also, I always ask it to ask me questions so it can add some context. Oh, good one. And then, so that's so now that you know about our event and our organization, write me a president's speech. I want it to be funny and interesting and I want to use anecdotes from the years. So it says, oh, what are some of the funny anecdotes that have happened? And during this, I've started to write, okay, what kind of language do I want it to use? So I'm writing, the community is the winds underneath the wings of the mighty eagle hawk. It puts <laughs> that kind of stuff in there. But not just, I can say that and think, oh, that would be cool in a speech. But to write it in, in the right context and in the right part of the sentence, in the right paragraph, is a lot harder. Yeah. So the creative stuff gets dropped in. And then I said, oh, according to the bylaws of our organization, in accordance with 2013, blah, 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 legal document, write me a schedule of events, like an agenda for an AGM. Oh, that's a good move. It spat out the whole agenda. So I've pretty much covered off everything I needed to do. And there's some proofreading required and some tweaking and some changing to make sure it is right. But it took a two-day job and... And this is a volunteer's role too, so I'm not paid for this work. Oh. It makes me be able to contribute to the community. Yeah. Way more meaningfully and produce better outcomes at two hours, two days. So let's wrap up this episode with, I was thinking a couple of beginner tips and a couple of advanced tips. And I don't know if we want to jump into any particular app here. I'm thinking ChatGPT, it's a good entry point for people who haven't played around with it before. Do you have any beginner tips? Absolutely. The first one is a bit of a doozy. There's a couple of papers that have proven this prompt to be a bit of a game changer. Oh. And it's only five words. Okay. So you can put these five words at the end of any prompt. And in in this one particular example, it improves the result from 17.7% correct to 78.7% correct. Let's go. Five words. And here's the prompt. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So you, you type in your other prompt, yeah. the, your existing prompt, and then you put these five words into the end. Let's think step by step. Ooh. And those magic five words have been tested by lots of computer science engineers to be, at the moment, the game changer prompt. Let's think step by step. So it's not just that, obviously, but you just put that at the end of an existing prompt you're going to put it anyway. It's going to make it big difference. So it changes the, the approach that the AI takes to spitting out your whatever you prompted it to do. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's uh, that's a beginner and an advanced tip, I think. It's I very like easy, yeah. but it probably addresses some of the core issues with the way that the chat bot creates its answers. So yeah. let's not dive into the detail of that, <laughs> but that's brilliant. Do you have that any more? That is brilliant. There's another tip that I've got, which I'm not 100% sure if you can do on the free ChatGPT plan, but I know you can do it on the paid one, where you can share your chats with ChatGPT and it gives you like a little share link that you can give to somebody else. Yeah. But the the little hack is you can actually paste that share link back into another ChatGPT chat Ooh. and it will pick up on all the memories from that last chat. So for example, Reese, earlier in the pod, you were talking about having this really nailed in prompt on how you want your voice to come through on email. So rather than just having that one chat you have to go back to every time, you could just have that 
link link saved somewhere and just copy that into any chat GPT prompt uh, and it will pick up on all that history. That's great. And just as a bit of context, in case people haven't used this before, those who have used it will be like, whatever. But if you haven't used chat GPT before, basically it's a conversational type interaction and it works really well because as you in real life talk to someone and dial in on a topic and go, I might ask a question and the person gets sidetracked and answers it differently can read you go oh very interesting what about this particular thing and can prompt and adjust and tweak by the end of that conversation you can have you almost need to if you look at that series of prompts and answers you get a lot of insights into an overall overarching thing so in the past i've sent a link i was trying to come to a result and i was telling people who didn't use it how I'd got there as a bit of an example. And I just sent the link and they can see the the history of conversations. That's cool. So you can share that link and that's what you just mentioned, Bailey. That link can then become a really powerful history, memory of a past interaction to inform future answers. Brilliant. Pretty pretty handy. That's great. We've talked a lot about how we can implement this into our creative practices today. Maybe don't try this at home (laughs) at your own risk is... I've used ChatGPT as a therapist oh. to talk about some personal stuff Ooh. and just to bounce some things back and forth. And how's that gone for you? Funnily you say that, it's gone pretty well. Really? And even just in between sessions with my actual counsellor, it's been really helpful to, to summarise my thoughts so I can make the most of the next session with the, the in-person counsellor too. Do you actually, do you ask it for input on questions and issues you're having or do you just, do you use it differently? So without going too much into the details, the I use this other app called AudioPen, which basically uses some of the transcription AI stuff we've talked about before, but it will condense down it automatically into a nice summarized, rather than all the jargon of me saying ums and ahs, and it will automatically summarize what I've said in a nice, easy way in one tap. Yeah. And then I'll copy that into a chat GBT prompt but they've already set up with a, with an AI. That's a good tip, actually, where you can actually give ChatGPT a persona. So you can say you are a world-class counsellor and therapist that specialises in different modalities such as um, CBT or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's some on, you can Google some really detailed prompts to get you some great personalities oh, wow. that GPT can put the persona on. Wow. And you speak to that persona using the, maybe a transcript of, so you don't have to type to your therapist. Yeah. And it starts a really interesting back. Why? Yeah, so you might not be injecting a whole heap of personal information. That's the risk. Compromise yourself in exactly. this process. But what I'm imagining you might use it for is to say, help me rephrase this in a different light. Mm. How can I look at this from a different perspective? Are there other ways to approach this problem? So far I'm thinking about it in this way. And like, can just use it to brainstorm exactly a, a challenge that yeah. you have. Wow, exactly. that's right. That is wow. That's a, that's a huge episode. We're pretty much coming to the time where we've got to wrap it up. Oh yeah. Um, I, it's if you've listened all the way through, thank you. There's a lot of AI content out there at the moment, and I'm just like jumping headfirst in and trying to absorb as much as I can. And I'm glad we could bring yeah. some hopefully great tips to those who are just starting out or those who are already in their AI journey. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little AI inception thing here. I'm gonna prompt Reese to prompt Chat GPT. 
Um, but I do it right this yeah, very Yeah, right this very second. <laughs> so right. a, little, a few rewards for those who've stuck around to the end. Here's my prompt, Reese. I want you to come up with two really funny jokes about AI. Yeah, that's great. That's a great one, mate. I asked it to generate some jokes more before, before, but they weren't that funny. So here are the two funniest jokes about AI as generated by ChatGPT4. Why was the computer cold? Ooh, I don't know, Reese. Tell me why. It left its windows open for too long and got a virus. <laughs> uh, okay. How does a robot write a catchy pop song? It uses its algorithm. <laughs> These are lighthearted, humorous takes on some aspects of AI and computing. I hope they bring a smile to your face. Hold on. Thank you, chat GP. <laughs> I really appreciate your time and effort helping me be more funny. <laughs> Always be friendly to the AI. Thank you and please. <laughs> Thanks again, Bailey. Really appreciate your insights on this one. No worries. And if, if I can make a cheeky plug. Of course you can. There's a lot of AI stuff that we covered today and a few things that unfortunately we couldn't fit into this episode. If people are interested, I've put a list together of all the best AI tools and some of the prompt tricks and tips that we gave today. They just need to go to baileycook.com.au slash AI. Oh, and sign up on. to get the list. And we'll put a link to that on our website page. All right, sweet. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for listening into Country Creatives Podcast this week. You've been listening to Caleb Maxwell and Reese Handy. My name's Amy. I produce the show and we get some great support from Emporium Creative Hub in Mitchell Street, Bendigo. You can visit all of the past episodes and show notes and contact us with any tidbits, comments, suggestions for guests, anything else you'd like to pass on by visiting emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast. Stay well and we'll see you for the next episode in a couple of weeks' time.